Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, we bring you part two of our chat with marine biologist Courtney Dusset. This time, she tells us about some weird ocean critters that are actually pretty neat. Be prepared for some foul language, and let's get ready for another Human Exception. I very strategically like set this up when I was doing my research so that uh, we could have a little palate cleanser. Um, Kayla wanted to learn about leafy sea dragons. Yes. Uh, their Latin name is Phycodurus equis, which is fun to say. Um, and they belong to the Syntag- no. Synathidia. I can't say that one family, which also includes uh, other sea dragons, seahorses, and pipefish, um, which are actually fish, not invertebrates or something weird. They belong to like the same family, the Actinopt. How do I say that again? It's been so long since I've had to say Latin names. Actinotudri? No. Anyway, they belong to the same. They're bony fish, like. A beta, like a salmon, they're all related. Which I didn't know. Like, I didn't really know what seahorses were for a long time. I didn't think that they were fish. I thought they were their own weird thing. And I, like, learned that, I don't know, six years ago and blew my mind. And I think they're really neat. They're so morphologically different from any other fish. Yeah, I had no idea they were actually fish. They're actually bony fish. Um, yeah, so they have bones, they have a skeleton, um, they're really cool to look at, um, if you can, like, go to a museum, a lot of the time they'll have, like, that's the one thing about museums that I don't think people realize is, like, a lot of the time they have these cool natural exhibits that aren't, I don't like the ones that generally have, like, stuffed animals, but if you can look at, like, bony fish skeletons, or, um, sometimes they'll have preserved invertebrates, like, that can be really cool to do, and a lot of the time, um, I know that at the Evergreen State College, we have a field museum exhibit and you can request to go in and you can request to look at specimens and they'll pull them out for you and they can give you microscopes to look at them at. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I did that for some of my classes just to like look at things that are hard to find in the area of the Pacific Northwest um, or things that are just like typically hard to find, like um, some of the some of the parasitic worms. Like I don't want to hunt them down i've done that once it wasn't fun um and a lot of the time when you do find them you have to sacrifice the host and so you're killing two animals and i don't want to do that if i can go look at one that's been preserved so um but that's just me uh so leafy sea dragons are gorgeous let me get you guys the picture so you can see if it'll do it they have these beautiful and now it's not going to do it they have these beautiful like leafy appendages that they use for camouflage they're terrible at moving though see if i can just find it here because it's not letting me copy from my document 
they're terrible at moving. So they won't, they can't really like control where they're going at all. <laughs> this, um, wherever the currents take them. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Really and they live cool. in, they're beautiful. Oh my so God. they have, they have some fins at the top of their head that they can use to kind of direct themselves around, but they can't like propel themselves forward. Um, and they don't really have much movement and they're very, very slow, which is smart because if you look at them, their whole shtick is being camouflaged. Um, so does seaweed move a lot or change directions quickly? No. So why would I want to? I want to be hidden. It's wild that um, this creature has survived. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, they like only the live in... <laughs> they have like a very specific small area they live and they're they're very very protected because of that they live in like southern australia on the west coast like the southern west coast and um they don't have the ability like a lot of seahorses to coil around stuff and grasp like their tail is not prehensile like normal seahorses so they are definitely at the mercy of the currents um they eat plankton and small crustaceans and they have like that tiny little mouth. Wait, how do they catch things? Um, they're eating things that are very small. So they eat plankton that comes to them. <laughs> Just whatever so they're not, their mouth. Yeah. So or they might, you know, turn their head to the side or whatever. But like in general, they're slow moving and they're not like actively seeking prey. Like they can't like go hunting, really. Um, there's another sea dragon called the Weedy Sea Dragon that also lives in, excuse me, in Australia. That is kind of cool, very related, um, but not quite as stunning as the Leafy Sea Dragon. So the Leafy Sea Dragon has these beautiful long appendages. They're like, I think they're like nine inches long. The okay. actual creature, not the appendages. The creature is mm -hmm. nine inches long. Okay. Um, and then they have these long, beautiful, like, flowy kelpie appendages for camouflage. The Weedy Sea Dragon has, like, almost, like, a Loch Ness look to it. That's cool. Like, if you ask me. <laughs> like, they're kind of neat looking, right? Uh, um, <clears throat> so they only have, like, a few of these weedy appendages. They're also found in the same sorts of areas in southern Australia. Hmm. And I just think they're really beautiful. Um, and one of the cool things they... about... Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, one of the cool things about um, the seahorse family is that the males are the ones that carry offspring in, like, all species um, instead of the female. And mm -hmm. there's, like, not really sure why that is, but um, one of the papers I was looking at was saying that mating for females is, like, twice as taxing as it is for males, even though the males are the ones doing, like, the brooding. Yeah. Um, so it could just be like the females wouldn't be able to survive if they had to do the egg laying and the egg protection. So oh. um, let's see if I can have the link here. I'm going to see if I can link this Weedy Sea Dragon because you can see some seahorses have pouches, but this Weedy Sea Dragon male has like, if you click on it, actually has like the eggs attached to the underside of his tail. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like a shrimp. Yeah. And, and generally, like they, the males have like a brood pouch. So I thought that was yeah. kind of interesting that the weedy seed again just has them chilling. And so you can see in that picture again. too; those little white things are um, some kind of small crustacean, probably like an amphipod or maybe a tiny shrimp. That's so cool! Wow. 
Wow. Yeah, watching they're a, really watching a male seahorse give birth is one it's of the weird thing. things. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's a trip. It's, it's funny. A trip. So I love these guys seahorses. can't really navigate or like figure out where they're going. How do they breed? <laughs> they're fish, so they breathe underwater. They have gills. No, I breed. <laughs> oh, how breed. do they have sex? <laughs> Oh, that's a really like, good question. How do they find their mates? <laughs> like, how do they like, just like bump into you? And I'm like, oh, okay, you've got yeah, compatible parts. Let's have babies so we're here. <laughs> the only time, so like, I think these are the only time I've ever seen them, they like have them aggregated in like a smaller tank mm-hmm. because like they're not, they're not like a migratory species. So they can live in a smaller tank and they tend to just kind of chill together. So I'm wondering if that's what the way it is in the wild is they just kind of stick close to one another and then i don't know i'd have to look they're not broadcast spawners so like um corals are broadcast spawners they just kind of eject their shit into the water and like call it a day um but like these guys like care for their offspring so i'd have to look i don't know that's one thing i didn't think about although last night i did come like i was trying to sleep and i couldn't sleep because i was just running through the notes in my head and I was like, how do whales smell? And like, had to resist the urge to Google it. Whales can't smell, apparently. Um, they yeah. don't have nares, so they don't have nose holes like we do. And they don't have the structures in their brain to smell. But there was wow. like a recent discovery where there's one species of toothed whale, and I forget which one it was, a beaked whale. It was a beaked whale who can smell. But like, also, they have preferences for food so that implies that they can taste but taste and smell are so close related in in humans that like how does that work so there's a lot of like studies being done on that and if like whales use taste to like try and find prey and i think um the no smelling thing is just for toothed whales where like baleen whales like humpbacks and um gray whales have some sort of smell and they think that they use that to find kelp or not kelp krill mm. kelp uh, too many um, words i dated a guy who had no sense of smell it was like a disorder thing he had and he could oh. taste things still he's like you know people always ask the first question they ask him I was like well can you taste stuff and he's like yeah like i could taste stuff like things that i gravitate to are different than other people because like the way that we experience taste is different like some foods and stuff is a lot more incorporated with smell yeah so yeah it's it's interesting it, it's a weird thing yeah and like if you think about it when you go to taste something gross usually like plug up your nose but you can still kind of taste it and maybe mm. they're more attracted to like mouthfeel than we are like maybe they mouthfeel. just really in, right maybe they just really enjoy the way like an octopus feels in their mouth who knows but <laughs> you thought about it made me upset yep that's <laughs> That wasn't pleasant, but thanks Sorry. for that line. You're welcome. I had to experience it, so you had to experience it. I I yeah. understand that line of reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, places you can go see weedy sea dragons. They're pretty protected. Like I said, um, they're not something that you're gonna find in like a home aquarium. If you do, like, call the police. Um. Yeah, I was wondering if there was any kind of domestic ones, but I guess. Not if no, they're endangered they're, and stuff. They're so rare. They have such a small. Um, I can try and try and find like a picture of their map. Like the map where they live is tiny. I think the weedy sea dragon has is found in like southwestern Australia, 
and around New Zealand, but like the weedy sea dra- or the leafy sea dragon has like this like the tiniest range. <laughs> Like they are such a niche animal, <laughs> and if you think about it, like if you're planktonic like that, you're you're dependent on being able to like live in a very certain area, and you need like not a lot of um like water movement, and you can't deal without having other weeds around you to hide in. Like you're you're a pretty special little flower, and you you need delicate care. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have seen these before at an aquarium. Um, I think it was at the New England Aquarium, but um, it's been a long time and I don't remember. Um, I was digging through my pictures last night because I like going to aquariums is my hobby. Um, and one of my classes we got to go to like seven aquariums in one week. Um, we traveled from Washington all the way down to Monterey Bay in California and back and hit like a bunch of them. Oh wow. That'd but I amazing. don't I didn't right? But even at like Monterey Bay, I don't think we saw a weedy sea dragon. I would have taken a picture of it. Um Yeah. Also, I've talked about the Monterey Bay Aquarium like a couple of times. If you ever get the chance to go, like go. It is so, so beyond worth it. It is so beyond worth it. Um Kayla, I will go on a road trip with you to go yes. there again. Um <laughs> Like, it is spectacular. I went with my class, and, like, we had, like, assignments to do. I found their cephalopod exhibit and, like, stayed there. And my professor came in and was like, you need to go look at other things. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm like, Eric, do you see Do you see this flamboyant cuttlefish just, like, staring into my soul? I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> um, the next best thing is... The next best thing is uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium's YouTube channel. So, Mm -hmm. if you're into this stuff, check that out. Yeah, go check it out. A lot of the aquariums have been, like, have had that in place and they just haven't been really utilized. But I think with the pandemic, um, like, that's something you can do. Like, they've either ramped up the amount of, like, cams that you can look at or, like, have really started to, like, put that in play. I think the Monterey Bay Aquarium even has like a chilling channel where you can like watch jellyfish and listen to music and they have a couple different ones. So go check amazing. those out and then that's amazing. And then go support your local aquariums because man, like they're struggling on the regular and then you put the pandemic into the mix and like I don't know how they've stayed open. Yeah. Um it's Yeah, the been Vancouver rough. one had to get like a huge sur- um surplus from like a, a company I can't remember. Well, they yes. got they got bought they got by bought uh, by, by yeah, a so, yeah, they bought by or something, right? Yeah. yeah, which scares me because, in my opinion, yeah. the way I think that aquariums should be run is they should be focused on conservation and education. Yeah. And then, like, breeding programs and stuff are also important. Research is also important. But when you put a corporation into the mix, it becomes focused on entertainment and money. And that's mm-hmm. where things get gross. Um, I've yep. gone to aquariums that have been focused on that, and they're not fun to go to. You don't learn anything, and it feels gross like there's no other word for it you feel like you've just stepped into like a vat of oil it is not great um and then a lot of the time in my experience like the animals aren't as well cared for Mm -hmm. they just aren't um because the people who really care about these animals want to do like research and stuff and not saying that not everybody who goes to those places doesn't care but generally the people who are like 
like hardcore about it are going to places where they could do things like research and like getting accreditations and writing papers because that's what they're passionate about and they get to do things like spread that knowledge. And when you have it for money, it ends up being like people who aren't really into it. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. Definitely. So support the good ones. Oh, yeah. The jelly <laughs> cam's pretty great. Um, so those are you made me so, really happy with that damn jelly cam. I'm so excited. You're welcome. <laughs> so those are those are sea nettles. Um, and they're common to the Pacific Northwest. They're really pop. Like you can find a lot of them in Japan. Um, and they're gorgeous. I love their coloring. They always put them against like a blue backdrop like that, which just really makes them pop. Mm-hmm. Um, they also don't have a whole lot of uh, ability to control where they go. They can control where they go in the water column, and that's about it. Um, Up or down, about- and the rest is just currents. Yep. <laughs> um, fun, fun fact about jellyfish, you cannot keep them in a square tank. It has to be a round tank. Um, they call them chrysals which is German for carousel. And okay. uh, if you put them in a square tank, they get caught in the corners. <laughs> um, even in the round ones, sometimes they get caught. Uh, we had a, a, we called it a plankton chrysal. We had, it was a jellyfish chrysal. And um, it had water that circulated, so it kept the water going around in a circle. And our jellyfish and gooseberries always got stuck. <laughs> always. And then they get ripped up and then they die. That's really sad. Aww. And then um, the other ones eat them? Uh, sometimes. It depends. Um, the jellyfish we had were Aurelia, and I believe Aurelia don't eat each other, but don't quote me on that. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes they'll eat each other. I think stinging nettles, the sea nettles, are, are predatory. Some just eat, like, small plankton and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I love cnidarians. Cnidarians are... The group of anim- or the phyla that jellyfish, anemones, and corals belong to. Okay. Um, and they're they're a trip. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about another another cnidarian um, towards the end here. That's pretty cool. That will um, absolutely blow your mind. Um, yeah, go to an aquarium. Go if if it's safe to do so in your area. Like mask up and go. Wash your hands. Um, make sure not to wear any. Um, any lotion on your hands if you're doing like a touch tank and to avoid using um hand sanitizer before you do a touch tank uh Mm because those things can be really upsetting to animals think about it you don't want like a lot of these animals like touch tanks are generally invertebrates and they have very sensitive like water so like think about it you don't want someone spraying a bunch of perfume in your face when you're trying to breathe (laughs) the same kind of idea with like lotions and stuff and it can really harm the animals um so, like, if you can, wash your hands with just water before you go to a touch tank, and then you can use whatever you want after. But um, soap and stuff like that's really hard on animals. They had a manta ray um, kind of touch experience at the aquarium here for a while, and it was amazing. Yeah! Manta rays really cool. are fucking, they're like sea cats. They're so cool. They, yeah. they just want to come up rays. and rub against you and stuff. <laughs> like, they love it. Um, there's, a, uh, what's the name of the place? There's a, a zoo. The what's the name of the zoo? Seattle Zoo. It's not the Seattle Zoo. It's not the Woodland Park Zoo. What's it called? Point Defiance. Thank you, Brain. Thank you, Google. So the Point Defiance <laughs> Zoo also has like a really big um, marine exhibit. They just 
opened a new like Pacific Northwest Ocean exhibit in the last like two years, and I haven't gone to go yet. Um, but they had Ray touch experiences, and I did that, and it's amazing. And they they do they love being touched. It's actually really beneficial to the animal for them to have that interaction, um, which is one of the reasons why they do it. Um, but they like crave the petting. They're like sea cats. It's amazing. It's so good. They're sharks. They're sharks. Rays are sharks. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they're a flat shark. They're really cool. Um, there's yeah. also so if you think about it, I always like to think about things in like terms of like stepping stones. It's kind of not the way you should think about them, but like if you've ever seen like you see like normal sharks, like uh, like when we think of like a mako shark or a great white shark, where they've got that really like streamlined body and they're they're fast and scary and. Rah. Um, and then you have like kind of chiller sharks, like the nurse sharks, and they have like that wider body and they're chill and they like lay on the bottom. Um, whale sharks. And then there are whale sharks. And then there's, uh, is it called the Wobegong? Yeah, the Wobegong shark. And they're like, <laughs> they're a trip. And guitar sharks, where they're kind of more, <laughs> they're almost a race. So, like, I'm trying to find a good one of this Wobegong where you can actually see it. Huh. Um, they're neat. Uh, they kind of have like these grandpa faces <laughs> where they have all of these. It almost looks like a beard, right? So they yeah. almost have like this beard of tendrils that go off of them. Um, they're very camouflaged. They're gorgeous. Um, but they're really flat. And then if you think about something like a ray, it's not that much of a stretch to go from that Wobegong shark to a ray. Yeah, that's I true. Cool. I love them. That's how, like that's that's how I've always. I know it's not necessarily the correct way to do it, but that's how I've always like looked at something, and then I've seen things that are similar to other things that I I'm I'm familiar with, and that's how I tend to categorize things. And I'm I'm very rarely like wrong, which is a great thing. And I think I attribute. And I don't want to like sound like I'm <laughs> I'm never <laughs> wrong. I'm a nerd, and I've been watching hours thousands of hours of like documentaries since i was small and so like that's that's what it's built on it's built on all of that visual experience that i've had and i'm a visual learner so that's very beneficial so like if you can make those connections and see those connections make that jump say that that's the thing and then like if you're wrong you learn and if you're right like you're a dope ass bitch <laughs> well yeah like a lot of these creatures have been sorted into families based off of physical oh, attributes cool. so it makes it yeah. makes sense yeah well, and the, the crazy, so that's how we initially started doing this, right? Is we we sorted things by the way they look, we put them into groups. And even now, like, that's not necessarily the way we do it now. Now we're doing it with genetics, which gets insane. Um, <laughs> and it's a lot. I've done it. It's a lot. Um, but we're finding that even with just, like, doing it by eye, like, a lot of the genetics comes out true, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um which isn't always the case but yeah um genetic genetic taxonomy is a trip and it's too much for my little brain i like to talk to people <laughs> about things <laughs> like this and like talk about the fun things that they do i'm not necessarily as into the like taxonomy and phylogeny and like technical stuff like that it's just not my jam which is fine um all science science is valid like my science is valid and i talk about things in like the dumbest way um <laughs> and so is but like science where you're like 
parsing genes. It's also super fucking valid and important. So I just think that I just don't like it when people like get all snooty about science. It should be for everybody. Science communication is important. So, um, Kayla also wanted to talk about nudibranchs. I knew that you wanted to talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) I love nudibranchs. Um, I had actually never seen a nudibranch before until I was almost 30, like in the wild. Uh, We have them in Alaska, but they're just not like common to where I was on the beach as a kid. Um, And then like I saw a sea lemon for the first time and they're adorable and I love them. I mean, you're definitely going to share a bunch of pictures. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't have a whole, I didn't like drum up a whole lot of photos for nudibranchs but i wish i had now Mm -hmm. um i actually have a really cool nudibranch book that my sister well she's my friend too my sister friend gave me um megan my sister well that's how i met her is through my sister she was in my sister she's like a photography friend of my sister's and she was at my sister's Mm -hmm. wedding and like i met her for the first time she came up to me and told me i was her sister now and gave me a big hug and i was like hello (laughs) um but yeah purple hair megan i love you um, and she gave me a nudibranch book. She's an amazing artist. I'll have to share your art, her art with you later. She does yeah, like, cool. yeah, she does like um, photo collages. She'll she'll take individual photos. Mostly she does plants. Um, but we also met up and she took some pictures of some of my sea creatures, which was fun. Um, and then she digitally puts them together into these amazing sculpt like digital sculptures with photos. It's amazing. I'll have to share. Well, um, yeah, right. she's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so she also really enjoys sea creatures and she had this great nudibranch book, but she was downsizing. So she gave it to me. And of course I left it in Washington when I moved to Canada. So I didn't have it with me, but sea slugs are fun. Um, nudibranchs or sea slugs, pretty interchangeable depending on who you're talking to. Some people might get snooty with you. I won't. Um, they're mollusks. So they're related to clams, oysters, snails, squid, cuttlefish, and octopus. All the same phyla. Um, and they're broken down into like two categories generally. So you have the dorids, like the sea lemon that I shared, where they're kind of like, they look like if you've ever seen the sea bunnies. Have you guys seen that? I think so. They're pretty popular. Everybody thinks they're super cute because they are. Um, where they have oh, like, they look like yes. ears at the front. Yes. Yeah. They look like they have little ears. And then if you look at the back, they have like, I call it a tail. It's not really a tail. Those are their gills. Um, So they're generally, yeah. So those are their gills. Um, So they they typically have like that shape though where like dorids will have two tentacles at the front and then they have their gills at the back and they look kind of like, uh, some of them look kind of devilish, which is kind of cool. Like this friend. Um, but they do, they have like a little, a little slug face and then they have their little tail and they're very cute. Some of them are very like bumpy. So like the bunny looks fuzzy, right? I've, I've found sea bunnies in the wild. They're not, they're like texture. It's not fuzz. So it's really hard to translate with a photo or something. It's something you have to like actually touch. Um, and I think you could kind of see it better in a sea lemon. They do feel kind of like a lemon. If you touch them, mm. huh. like a soft ass lemon, but that same that bubbly <laughs> texture, because they're so, they're squishy. They're like a yeah. they're like a snail or a slug, um, yeah, but, but they're look beautiful. At that purple, oh my god! Mm-hmm. Right. 
So um, those are the Dorids. And then the other ones are Aeolids. Let me grab this picture. And Aeolids have the same kind of tentacle situation in the front. But then they have a bunch on their back. What? So they look... Oh. I don't really know how to describe them. They kind of almost look like a porcupine with all of those. They're no, like a ocean tiny hedgehogs. hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah. They're like yeah. a what? Hedgehogs. Hedgehogs. Yeah, that's a better a description. Tail. A fish tail. Yeah. Um, and some of them aren't spiky like that. Some of them are like more bubbly. But all of them have, they call them serrata. So they have the, uh, the tentacly spiky oh. bubbly things on the back um they're called serrata and oh. they that's that's their morphology so those are the two main morphologies that get things get sorted into um and i i don't know they're really cool i think part of the reason why i'm so fascinated with them is one i think radula are really cool those are those tongues that i was talking about earlier um get a picture two seconds show you guys there that they use to like scrape uh algae or like some of them use radula so moon snails also have a radula i went moon snail hunting yesterday i was not uh not successful not at all not successful at all um but i did find like evidence of them um because what will happen is they will take their radula and they will um drill a hole into their prey generally like clams or other snails um they love oh. oysters um so if you ever see like seashells on the beach and they have a perfect hole in them that's generally the sign of either an assassin snail or a moon snail some kind of predatory snail like that and so they have like they take their radula and they drill a hole into their prey and then they slurp oh, it out the end of that yeah that's cool it's yeah um yeah, so the first picture I sent you is actually um, a scanning electron microscope photo of a radula. So that's what they look like. Super fucking up close. Like Looks like a horseshoe crab. Kind of, yeah. And then, so they, they have different, like, morphologies depending on what they eat. So, like, if I'm going to drill into a shell, I probably have one that's a little bit more, like, drill-like versus one where it needs to scrape. So it'll scrape. It'll be bigger and flatter so it can scrape off of the side of a rock or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really cool. Uh, I love them. <laughs> oh, here's a shell. Burp, burp. I get really excited because, <laughs> oh, my files are too powerful. Oh, no. Use a oh. snipping tool. Yeah. Snipping <laughs> tool is that friend. I just picked a different one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too lazy. Oh. So, if you see, oh, okay. so if you see those holes, right, that's from a moon snail. That's dope. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, moon snails, however, in my in my opinion, are not the coolest. I love them. I think they're neat. Uh, I really want to see one because I always run into like the moon snail egg casings. You guys were with me when I found one one time. They look like rubber on the beach, and you want to pick it up and throw it away because like that's what you should do when you find trash on the beach. But they're not. They're an egg casing, and so they're. I'll share another picture that people can't see, but they're kind of rubbery looking. <laughs> Be on the website. <laughs> yeah. And I could put my notes up and um, papers that I used. For sure. But, 
but they're really cool. And I found casings and I found shells, but I haven't found the snail. And I just really oh, want wow. to one day. They're kind of gross looking. They've got this massive mantle that kind of comes on the outside of their shell. They use that for like burrowing into the sand. But mm-hmm. like, I love their shells. I found a broken moon snail shell. I didn't find a whole one this time. Um, Do you want to share a picture yeah. of a moon snail? There's a pic. There's one sitting right next to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can share another one. They've got that really, that really classic snail spiral to their shell, mm-hmm. and they get massive. Uh, I don't know exactly how big they get, but like I've seen people mm-hmm. who have had to use wow. two hands to pick one up. Holy uh, shit! Yeah, yeah. Let me look and see what it says. These are so cool. So I have like 13 centimeters in diameter. So that's going to be their um, their Dang. diameter of their shell, not of the animal. And then the the actual mantle and foot of the animal is so much bigger. Um, and they what they do is they they pump that mantle full of water, and and use it as like a shovel to get into the sand quickly to chase down other mollusks to eat or to like escape from. Escape from predators. Huh. Awesome. Yeah. It's good times. Um, a dope animal. There's also some they're like mollusks are really cool, I think, because they're so morphologically diverse. They have like all these different shapes and all these different shapes help them do all these different things. There are ones that like expand their mantle really large and then like sail with it like a like a like a fucking boat. Um which I think okay. is really cool. I can sh- I can find the videos and share them. Like, if you get into these and you find like these weird little niche creatures, like you start to fall in love with them. They're really cool, even if they're kind of gross. Like, you get over the grossness after a while. And like, I don't know. At the beginning of my biology career, I like didn't want to touch anything. Like, I would like see stars and stuff like that, but like worms, I didn't want to touch. And then like by the time I finished my degree, I was like picking up worms by the handful to do. Uh, species essays to see like how many of what's in here and what is in here <laughs> so like you get over it real quick um you don't want to do that everywhere with everything generally in the pacific northwest you're pretty safe i think the only things i can think of that would hurt a person in the pacific northwest would be like sea nettles don't pick those up sea and enemies. some sculpins <laughs> or um urchins the sea anim- urchins that's what i was thinking of <laughs> Oh, you can pick up an urchin. Just don't like. You just have to be careful. Um, <laughs> I love urchins. Urchin. So my like my go-to niche invertebrate that I love are echinoderms. So that's your sea stars, your um, sand dollars, your urchins, and oh your sea God. cucumbers. I love a sea I, cucumber. I love a good sea cucumber. I have some videos out to show you, Hallie. Um, I have some videos of them like eating and stuff from class when we had them in in our lab that are just California sea cucumber cucumbers are amazing. They're so beautiful. I love them. One day we'll learn how to paint them properly. They're just <laughs> fantastic creatures. I also really enjoy like um the red sea urchin or the purple one. I can't remember. It's San Franciscanus is the the name and they're like giant like we found one that took two it took both my hands to pick it up and they're just like these gorgeous colors we have red 
purple and green here um, on the on the west coast, and they're just gorgeous. I love them. They're just like taking me to the beach. I went to the beach yesterday. I want to go back today. It's disgusting outside. I'm just like, when is low tide? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all excited. Um, okay, so back to sea slugs <laughs> again. Um, one of my favorite. Come on, take me to the picture. One of my favorites is sea slugs is this guy. It's Alicia Clark Eye. I'll have to get the picture. I'll just snip it. Um, and you'll see why in a second. One, it's drop dead gorgeous. It's a dorid. Um, so it's one of the ones where it has like oh wow. Yeah. Oh, so it has cool. the two. They look kind of like lettuce. I guess yeah. you could say, right? And they've got that really bright green color. And this is why this one is cool. So um, it belongs to a, I think it's a class or a clade uh, called Sacoglossa or Sacoglossa. And it's solar powered. What? So what? Yep. So what this animal can do, and there's some others that can do it as well, is it eats from algal seaweed you know from algal cells that'll take some of those algal cells somehow magically through the power of science it takes those cells and absorbs it into its own body and it has those cells within its cells and it uses it to be autotrophic in other words it uses the algal cells to create food via photosynthesis so it doesn't have to eat amazing fucking amazing so it has the ability to do do this it's this is called kleptoplasty so it steals those klepto, like, you know, stealing plasto is, I think, for cells. So uh, it takes the chloroplast from the cell and it puts that into its own cell. It maintains it. There's some animals that will do this, um, but, like, it only lasts for a few hours. And these guys can maintain these for months before they have to pick up another, like, batch of algal cells. Wow. Right? So some some species can choose to either eat the algae and have it just be like regular ass food and some of them will they call it recruiting those algal cells so they could be autotrophic um and it's amazing i think alicia clarkie is probably one of the prettier species that can do that um there are some snails that do this as well uh it's fucking wild dope there's also uh what they call kleptonidae which is where not with this species, but some other sea slugs will steal the sing- stinging cells from corals in kind of the same way. <laughs> and instead of like digesting them and having it go through the whole system, they somehow deposit them in specific areas of their bodies to use as a defense. Whoa. Cool. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, Nidarians, the corals, anemones, and jellyfish all have get their name from nidae, which are these stinging cells that they have that are basically like pneumatic needles that can in, like inject you with like stuff that hurts. Like if you've ever gone to a touch tank and you kind of feel like an anemone, you'll kind of feel it feels almost like Velcro on your finger. Mm. And that's those stinging cells jabbing into your finger. The ones they have in a touch tank are obviously not going to hurt you. Some can. <laughs> um <laughs> But so basically, what they're doing is they're stealing those needles, these two 
I don't know if they have just the needles or if they have some like chemical stuff that goes with them because some of these do have chemicals that can be toxic and hurtful or if it's just like I'm just going to jab you with these needles if you try and touch me. It's fucking wild. That stuff doesn't happen. Oh my gosh. Uh, And then so I also found a weird thing where like I've heard about this and I found like anecdotal evidence but i couldn't find like an actual paper or research done on it but there are two species of sea slugs that can actually create sound and i couldn't (laughs) yeah so this was like an observation done in the 1900s where like a guy had them in a tank and he kept hearing like the sound and it's been described as like a steel wire brushing against glass so it's very quiet it could be like a radula i don't know there's no, like, research done on it that I could find. And granted, I didn't do a deep, deep dive, but I tried. Um, but, like, it makes sound. And they're like, well, why does it make sound? And how does it make sound? And all this. And, like, why don't other ones make sound? Couldn't find anything. Um, yeah. But it's pretty cool. Uh, it's cool. The last, last cool thing I have about nude ranks, they are hermaphroditic, which is only being used to describe animals, not people. Um, so they have both male and female sex organs. Um, so, like, if you have them mate, both animals could walk away pregnant. <laughs> it depends on the day <laughs> and the animals. On the day. I love it. Double right? bang for your buck. Um, right? Um, but they cannot fertilize themselves, which I thought was kind of sad because it'd be kind of cool if you could just, like, get yourself pregnant I, and have your own babies. But I feel like yeah. it'd be bad for genetic diversity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> But also cool. Also, though, we, we have, like, those lizards and stuff that get pregnant on their own and clone themselves. I don't know how that works. That's not my jam. It's a lizard uh, thing. What? But, like, I want to know more. Yeah. Have you not, have you not you heard about that? You can't just bring that up. No. no. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. There was, like, some female lizards. I forget which ones there. I'd have to look. There were, like, female lizards that were in captivity, and there were no males, and da-da-da-da-da, and then, like, they laid eggs and had babies, and they were like, what? How? Like, fuck it. We're gonna figure this out ourselves. So what happens with fish sometimes is some fish will actually shift between sexes, depending on their life stage or, like, the availability of mates. Like, uh, Nemo. Like, like, the story of fighting Nemo is totally false. If the mom had been killed like that, what would have happened? (laughs) is Nemo would have grown up and become the male and his dad would have become a female and then they would have had babies. So, <laughs> but that's not Disney-fied, so you can't. It's not no. Disney-fied. But, like, that happens, right? So, like, animals it, will shift like that. Don't cuttlefish do but, that? Uh, I don't know. That might be species-dependent. Maybe, yeah. Um, But, like, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. Most of this I know about from fish. So, um... And not snails will snails it. will change sex as well too. A yeah, and and sometimes snails are also hermaphroditic, um, and so <laughs> they'll have both. Um, I know mystery snails have um, sexual dimorphism, so there's males and females. I don't know about the shifting between. They're so like domesticated; it's hard to tell. Also, they have a really short lifespan, from what I've read, which is sad. So, oh really? Huh. Like six months to a year. That's why I was oh, wondering wow. if Sonic is like. Wow. D- yeah, end days. Dying. Yeah. Because he's also pretty big. Um, He's like three centimeters across, two and a half centimeters across. I measured him at one point. 
Um, is that true yeah. for a lot of like mollusks and invertebrates where they have a shorter lifespan? Because I know like octopuses are like five-ish years in general. It depends on the octopus, yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing about octopus is that they're terminal spawners. So like females will die after they give um, after they their eggs hatch. Yeah, that's a that's a giant Pacific octopus thing. It's not all of them. Um, it's a, <laughs> this is the thing. It depends. So um, <laughs> some people claim that jellyfish are immortal because they have a very complex way of reproducing. So they have their traditional egg plus sperm equals new babies, um, and then they have little jellyfish larvae that grow up. Um, but they also have a polyping stage sometimes where like, uh, they will, um, like root themselves on a rock and then they like self-replicate asexually and then they, so they're almost more like an anemone at that point than a jellyfish or a coral than a jellyfish. And then they butt off and become what's known as Medusa, the free floating jelly that we all know and love. It's mm. complicated and hard and, and makes your brain kind of hurt, but Nidarians do that. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Jellyfish are weird. Uh, like, when you when you look at them and you're, like, thinking about them, like, they can eat and hunt and, and exist, but they're basically just floating water. Like, there's not a whole lot to them. Yeah. There's tentacles. Yeah. The, the nematocysts are cool. Uh, the, their singing cells are cool, but, like, they're kind of just like pseudo smart water and it's pseudo smart water. <laughs> it's a trip, man. So well, they're also generally quite invasive as well, aren't they? No. That... Invasive how? I thought there was a couple species that were like super invasive. Or maybe I'm just thinking of shit. I think what you might be thinking, they can be there can do be this thing called a, a jellyfish bloom. It's kind of like an algal bloom. Yeah. Where there will be, huh. like, for some reason, the population will spike and you'll have, like, an ocean of just jellies. And it can be detrimental to fishing for humans. Um, yeah. I think it's, like, the only real thing I could think of. Okay. Um, and that can also be a sign of global warming. And I forget the exact parameters for it because I haven't thought yeah. about it in a while. I think that's but, what um, I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah. So, but, like... And I mean, like, any animal can be invasive. I have an invasive species I'm going to talk about here in a minute. Um, if it if it's in an area where it doesn't normally belong, and it's causing... Generally, we, we associate that with some kind of detrimental effect. So, like, if, like, the zebra snail is a great example. Zebra snails ha are an invasive species here in the Pacific Northwest. They've been imported from China by... Um, and Asia in general by uh, shipping vessels. And they mm. will, like, take root in pipes, and they will block pipes. They will take root in freshwater areas, and they will completely outstrip everything else. Um, and it's a major problem, um, which is one of the reasons why if you go boating or if you're, like, traveling, they ask you to wash your boat afterward. So if there's mm. a chance that you have an easy muscle, like larva or anything that it's not there um and it's especially a big thing if you're traveling between the u.s and canada oh really huh yeah uh washington has had some spikes of uh zebra mussel and like if you if you go between the borders ever uh you'll see the signs like if you have a boat make sure that you've washed your boat or we will ask you about your boat washing um that sounds like a euphemism a problem. <laughs> we're gonna ask you about your boat, boat washing 
<laughs> Wash your yeah, boat, guys. Um, there's, yeah, a, so... there's periodic signs on our highways as well, like just between even here mm-hmm. in Vancouver to the Okanagan. Well, our, about it, so. our aquarium trade was stopped earlier this year in BC because of a zebra mussel outbreak in Alberta. Huh. Remember? Right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you about that. Yeah, I like went to go buy, I was trying to get some inverts to like keep my tank clean. I was trying to go get some snails and shrimp in March, I think it was. And like yeah. at all like all of the trade between so I think like I was going to PetSmart mostly because it's what we had, and then like the other store didn't really have what we were looking for, but like all pet trade for Aquaria was like kind of closed down. They couldn't sell anything because there was like this threat of zebra mussel and they had to like quarantine their tanks to see if they would show up or something. I don't know exactly what was going on. I didn't ask. Yeah. Um but yeah, there was like a, a zebra mussel outbreak, and so like it, it stopped the aquarium trade here for a little while. Huh. Wow! I didn't realize that about. was zebra mussels. That's crazy. Yeah, I wish it was zebra mussels. I talked with you about it. What was it? I don't remember. I, I remember it you said that there mussels. was something that was yeah. Yeah, it was zebra mussels. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I couldn't think of what else it would be, because um, yeah, that's that's one of the main ones that's really gnarly, and it it can kill everything it's so sad um yeah. uh weird cnidarian another jelly for you this is a generally a deep sea jelly um so i know you guys wanted some deep sea weirdos so i, I got you one um this is probably the weirdest like honestly the weirdest hardest to understand creature i guess we could call it um that i can think of that i've ever run into that i've ever anything ever um so there is a a creature called a siphonophore uh that is not one organism made up of many parts like many organs many pieces but is a colony of organisms that function as a single unit hive mind it's yeah, kind of. So what it is? So um, one of the most popular ones is the Portuguese man of war. It's probably the one people know the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, that is not one creature. That is like hundreds of creatures all working together as oh a single God. creature. Yeah. What? But they look like one. That's wild. But they look like one creature, right? Siphonophores yeah. will blow your fucking mind. <laughs> um, they have wild morphology. So, like, I'm going to just share this one from Wikipedia. There are some sources there. Um, but that's probably the best, like, comparison of the morphology, which is just, like, the shape. Um, yeah. I know I've been saying that. And I didn't really describe it for people who may not be used okay. to it. Um, so some of them are like long stringy boys. Some of them look almost like lupin flowers. Some of them look like what we think of when we think of a jellyfish. They're fucking wild. Um, all of them look like aliens. Yeah, all of them look like aliens. All of the ones I showed you are are deep sea. We call them plank- pelagic or planktonic. They live in the water, um, but some are benthic or live on the on the floor. Um, there are 175 different species. All of them look wild. <laughs> they have a crazy variety of prey. Like some of them eat just like plankton. Some of them actually actively hunt. It kind of depends on the creature. Um, so 
the thing that you have to wrap your right brain around is each one of those little pieces that you can see, like, I think there's that long one that looks kind of like a string of beads. Each one of those little beady looking things is a different organism. Oh so they God. all have, they all have different functions. They all look different, but they're all the same part of the animal. Like, they're all the same animal. They're not the same part of the animal, but they have, like, different functions within their colony because it's a colony of animals. Um, each one How is called connect? a... Z- are they like permanently connected? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. No, like it's really hard to like wrap your head around, right? Um, a so human each centipede one of the- thing. Kind of, <laughs> almost, yeah. But like, it would be like a human centipede if you could change your more like your morphology and only had one job, right? So they have yeah. one job, like we would think of an organ having one job. So each each one of the pieces is called a zooid. Um, which is kind of like a polyp, like you would think of like a coral or an enemy being a polyp. Mm. So they either have that kind of polyp function or they have a medusa function or morphology. So think of medusa, think of like a, a what we would think of as a jellyfish. Um, and each zooid has their own function. So there are nectophores, which assist in propulsion for movement. There are bracts, which function as protection and buoyancy. There are zooids that are gastrozooids that assist in feeding. Um, there are gonophores, which are responsible for reproduction. And then there are pneumatophores, which kind of float the creature and help with pressure changes and buoyancy as well. They are bonkers. Bonkers. This is the strangest. <laughs> but I love yeah. it. Ugh. Right? It's, it's a fucking trip. <laughs> Um, and generally they reproduce by budding kind of like that weird, I have a, um, a, not a reel, it was before reels, but I have a story on, um, my fish Instagram where I talk about how jellyfish reproduce. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and the, the asexual production is the same for siphonophores as it is for the jellyfish. So, um, I can give you guys that so we could link that and you could watch it. If you're really interested, I do an okay job Mm -hmm. of explaining Jellies are not really my jam, <laughs> but like, and also I have a really hard time wrapping my brain around this. Um, but yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, and they also have bioluminescence. So these deep sea creatures have the ability to emit light and they use that for prey attraction. Sometimes for like, yeah. Um, there's a German, um, I think he was a naturalist. His name was Ernst Tink Haeckel. And he does some of the most amazing naturalist plates that I've ever seen to like um, drawing descriptions of animals. He has mm-hmm. a, a book called Kunstformen de Nature or Art Forms in Nature. Um, and it has like, honestly, like I would, if I could have like all of these printed and put all over my house, I would do it. Um, they're gorgeous. And he, he has some beautiful descriptions, uh, visual descriptions of siphonophores in there. Um, I think that's a jelly. He's got nudibranchs in there. Uh, his urchin wow. work is amazing. Um, but he he does do some visual descriptions of siphonophores as well, and they're just gorgeous. They're amazing. Um, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, the time I, it would take. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, this is what I wanted to do. I'm not good at drawing. I wish I was. Not like this. Like I can draw cute things, but I can't draw like this. Um, but this is what I wanted to do when I was a child. Like 
I wanted to discover creatures. I wanted to be like Darwin. I wanted to draw them. And that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be David Attenborough. Um, <laughs> so like I see the stuff and I get super excited. And like I do have um, I do have a uh, it's not a print. It's actually an original piece from a French, I think the French textbook on um, cephalopods that my mom gave me as a graduation present. Aww. And it has like the dissection of a Nautilus. And it's one of my prized possessions. Like it's like if there was a fire, like that would be one of the things that I would grab um, because it one, it's dope as fuck and it means so much. Um, but I have like a picture of that too on, on one of my Instagrams. If I can show you guys that later, but it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So this kind of stuff is this, this kind of stuff, like my house, uh, when, when we eventually have a more wall space will just be like art prints like that. And then like all of our nerd shit. (laughs) (laughs) So you have like the Mandalorian and then you have like a dissection of a Nautilus. And then I have, um, a Japanese, ink print of uh i think it's a pacific octopus it might be a red octopus um where they took like the octopus and they dip it in ink and then they put it on the paper so it leaves uh, an ink print and they oh, take wow. it off cool. one of those That's awesome. yeah um my mom and dad got really into giving us art as gifts at one point and so like all of my art was cephalopods oh, cool. i have a lot of octopus gifts <laughs> I think I've hit the, I think I have everything that you can think of in octopus form uh, at this point because people awesome. know that it's my favorite. So they're incredible. Like, yeah, so they're amazing. I love them. They're so much fun to watch and look at. And I just, I don't know. I, I really love them. How could you not? Um, that's one I of think, my favorite thing about our aquarium is that we always have a giant Pacific octopus and they're so cool. Yeah. Oh. They're, they're pretty common. And the thing with um, the aquariums when they do have them is they'll capture them or they'll like contract fishermen to bring them in if they're a bycatch. And then they'll keep mm. them for a short amount of time, generally like six months, sometimes up to a year. And then they re-release them. Um, especially, or if like they start to notice that they're going into breeding mode, they'll release them early. Um, okay. But they're never, they're never generally kept forever. Um, I know that the um, the Seward Sea Life Center in Seward, Alaska, amazing. If you ever go to Anchorage, go to Seward. It's worth it. Go to the Sea Life Center. It's amazing. It's like world class. It's amazing. Um, but they will keep um, female breeding giant Pacific octopus. And so that the the female, because they're terminal spawners, um, will be dying anyway. And then they have like mm-hmm. the eggs there and they keep her comfortable until the end. And then they've been trying to raise octopus in captivity, which is notoriously hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. But can, can they do a lot of cool stuff. Can you back and just talk about octop- octopus? Cephalopod? Yes. Please, For, because I, I love them. Yes. Um, like I said, like most of these things, like I could go on and on. Like I adore them. Um, they're all really cool. And then some of them are creepy and they make me happy even with their creepiness. Cause like I was that kid as a kid who was like, what's your favorite bug? And I was like praying mantis cause she rips the head off the mail. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of kid I was growing up always. <laughs> Like, what's your favorite? I'm like, mm, I can't tell if it's Praying Mantis this week or if it's the Black Widow. And they were like, um, <laughs> small child therapy is not a thing because it's a 90s, but do you need some? Yeah, they were mm. expecting you to say like butterfly or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> like we were just learning about ladybugs and I was like, Praying Mantis. And they were like, yep. Whoa, who? 
Um, like I said, like I grew up watching David Attenborough's Life on Earth. I had it on video cassette, and like I think it was a three part. So you had to have three video cassettes to watch all of it. I think at least three, and like each cassette was like six hours long. And I, you would I would put it in, and it like this one goes like from like like evolutionary history so they start with like what they considered simple organisms and they kind of go through like the evolutionary tree to like more complicated organisms to like mammals um and like i would just sit and watch it and like my mom <laughs> we'd ask to watch a movie and my mom be like okay but only one so i'd be like ha 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 bitch <laughs> i'm watching david attenborough today what are we learning about david i wanted to marry him he was 60 <laughs> i didn't care <laughs> that man is almost 100 years old. I love him to pieces. I would probably cry and poop my pants if I could meet him. <laughs> Hopefully not in front of him, because that would be really embarrassing. Afterwards. But. Save it for afterwards. <laughs> okay, but he's 95 years old. You yeah. guys might have that in common at this point. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's still really active. He is still, like, making that documentaries is. and it's advocating true. for conservation. Like, the man is amazing. If anything ever bad comes out about him, my world will just end. I don't know how I'm going to deal when he dies. Like, I see him pop up in my Twitter mentions sometimes, like, on the side, you know, it'll be like, David Attenborough is trending. I'm like, please, God, no. God. Oh, please, God, God no. Please, yeah. God, no. And it's just him telling you to take care of the earth. And you're like, oh, thanks, Uncle David. Yep. I love him. It's going to be the it's gonna be the saddest time when, you know. It's going to be a hard day. Like, there's yep. going to be so much drinking on that day. And we're just going to watch all the documentaries. It's just, watch, it's just going to be Watch through planeters. Oh, blue planet, though? Oh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I have one more creature to talk about. All right. Um, and, and then I can stop talking. I know I've been talking at you guys for a long time, and it's really annoying, and I'm so sorry, but please. No it's so one's cool. complaining. No, no complaining. not at all. You guys invited me. You brought this on yourself. <laughs> Actually, it was really hard to pare these down. Like, I was trying really hard to, like, balance between giving a good amount of information and like overwhelming people so hopefully i see it's just nice to have someone hungry. else come on the show and like do ridiculous amount of research and not know when to stop <laughs> so it's usually yep. me <laughs> me me um so i'm gonna talk about my favorite crustacean um it is a barnacle it is named it doesn't have a common name that i know of uh, I have this horrible thing where I learned about a bunch of really cool animals from the scientific standpoint, so I don't know a lot of common names anymore. I don't think this one has one. Um, it's called Saculina carcini. It is a obligate symbiont. That means that it has to live um, with a symbi in a symbiotic relationship where it cannot exist. Um, and it is a parasitic castrator. What? And a rhizocephalin. So what this means is that it, um, rhizo means root and cephala means head. So it will attach itself to the nervous system of a host in order to take over its body, <laughs> alter its behavior. It'll alter its physical structure and control all its movement. Holy. Oh my God. Balls. <laughs> we yeah. Um, so it's, uh, fucking amazing. <laughs> um, its main host, its host of choice is Carcinus Menaeus, which is the small green shore crab. Um, they're super invasive. 
uh, they're naturally found in Northern Europe and North Africa, but now they're being found all over the world because of like tourism and trade. Uh, They're actually on the watch for them here on the Pacific Northwest because they can be highly detrimental to our native crab species, which is why I got into looking at these guys. Well, one of the reasons why I got into looking at these guys in the first place. Um, So the way that this works is you have this little tiny larva. They call them a napulus. And they don't eat. And they kind of just chill and grow for a while. They become sexually dimorphic. So you'll have a female and a male. Um, and what will happen is the female will uh, find a host. It'll settle inside of it, right? And then attach to the nervous system. It'll start to, and this is the part that's nuts. I don't really know how that works. It's what I like to call a science magic. But it'll grow these uh, tendrils that will like attach to the nervous system of the crab and eventually take over the crab. So it will grow on the nerve cords, the intestines, the digestion, and the muscles. And then eventually it just becomes a zombie puppet. The crab does for the barnacle. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my God. So a relationship do. like this. Like does a crab The crab will the crab is is parasitized. So the crab will still be alive. It still gets food. It still lives. Um, if a male crab gets infected, what will happen is that they will um, change the crab's hormones that are being released. And it forces it to act as if it were a female. Because what they, they are parasitic castrators. So what they end up doing is that they will use that reproductive energy. So when the the parasite is ready to breed they have like this egg sac and then the male comes and like fertilizes them and then they use the crab's egg grooming behavior to like care for the egg sac and like mm. propagate the eggs into the water whether it's oh male gosh. or female wow. so um i have a whole ass presentation because <laughs> <laughs> i did this as a presentation for class I just shared the presentation with you guys so you could click through it. There's a video in there and everything. Amazing. Um, there's like electron microscope photos of the what they call the roots. Uh, it's it's pretty dope. I love these guys. Wow. And That's intensely creepy, but also so cool. Cool. There's and the cool thing is is like from when I first started looking into these guys to like now-ish um there's been a lot more interest in them like in general like by the general population and so there are more and more videos being made about it and how it functions and how it works so you can look at it without having to like read the really dense scientific mm. journals <laughs> cuz sure. like uh I got really used to reading them because of my class and my professor was really into that. But like, it's really hard to change from normal everyday brain to reading a scientific journal brain, which sure. is such a shame. Um, I know that there's like a movement within the scientific community to like, one, make it so that people don't have to pay to get their articles into journals because that's bullshit. Yeah, to that's cool. make make them open source journals so that everybody can have access to that information. Cause you have to pay to read your own articles sometimes. 
Right. And then three, get rid of this scientific highbrow bullshit that people do and make it readable because accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, even if you know what they're talking about, like I've had to reread things. I don't know what they're saying. Right. Right. I'm back. And it's difficult. Hi. I was just on my rant about scientific journals. No. And that's, yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) And then you get into the whole, you know, just lack of critical thinking being taught and lack of science education. And then everyone thinks that scientists are snooty. And I'm like, y'all aren't doing yourselves any favors. Well, Stop and then it. they also think that scientists are getting paid all this money. And I'm like, right. bro, I can't no. find a job. And if you find, like, biology jobs, the average salary is, like, $50,000. And, like, generally you have to have a master's. Good God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, finding a job with just a BS or a BSc is, like, fucking impossible. Um, at least in my, like, like, from my friends that have gone to school that I went to school with for biology. And granted, they're all younger than me too. I have one friend who's working. I have two friends that are working in biology currently. I have one that's looking for a job and I have one that works for like a water testing company in Colorado. Wow. Yeah. And then I'm unemployed <laughs> and have been since I graduated. Uh, not using my degree. So it's a rough world. And part of it is with the Trump administration, they cut a lot of um yep science jobs and and yep. that just like gutted all of us coming out of school at that time cuz it's already been really competitive so yeah sad time living cool. in Canada now oh, yeah i'm really hoping that i could work at the uh the research center down the street cuz that'd be dope I'd, yeah. i i really, really just cool. want to I really just also have thought about like going down to the beach uh, every day at low tide with a tent and like talk to people. Bring me your wiggles <laughs> and I'll tell you about it. Because like there's me stuff down there. Love that. Oh my god. Well, the like, first time it- that I met Courtney, well, that we both met Courtney was um <laughs> we have friends that uh do a yearly camping trip every year around Canada Day because it's one of their birthdays, and Courtney was. <laughs> Courtney <laughs> had been on like a nerd blog website thing for some time with one of the guys that was in our group and she and Jake had kind of met online <laughs> and this was their yeah. first meeting as well it was, um, it was our first meeting in person yeah. <laughs> and now they're married so it worked out perfectly um, hey. yeah the next day we went down to the beach just like Jake, Courtney, and Nathan, and I, and like we just go over. We're like, "What's this? What's this? What's this? Tell us what this is." <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Like, I love talking to people about marine creatures. It's like, I mean, I've been sitting here for two hours. I've had two cups of coffee, and I'm just like, I could keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It. So back to back to my barnacle babies. Um, <laughs> Kayla, I linked the the document my my presentation and we can put that up i don't care um okay. all of it's been cited um there is a video in it of the the egg grooming behavior of the crab that's been parasitized which is pretty cool wow um sweet yeah um <laughs> so a lot of these creatures only live after about a year for like a year and then they like die and then i think the crab dies with them i don't I didn't really see anything about that. Um, and then, 
Yeah. So the reason why I got really into this was um, I was worried about uh, I was like looking at invasive species because it's like a pet project of mine. I was like, I love them to look for them and like, like alert people and be all weird about it. Um, <laughs> but they've been finding the green shore crab, which is invasive in Puget Sound, which was the area that I went to school in. Um, and they're finding them in like California, which could be a problem because then they compete with like the local shore crabs. And it can be a really bad thing. It can impact local shellfish. Um, I know in Washington, like they're trying to recuperate the native oyster because there's like a small, I think it's called the Olympic oyster, but I could be wrong. There's like a small oyster that's only found in Puget Sound. And it's like, they're trying to foster it back because it got overfished because they're delicious. I don't think so, (laughs) but they're like delicious or something. Um, And so like this could really negatively impact those, those recuperation efforts. Um, And then it's also really harmful for eelgrass, which they're trying to recuperate in the area because it's a really important um, nursery ground. They're kind of like tiny kelp beds. Think of it that way. They're important for nurseries. They're important for estuaries and like, they're trying to like keep an eye on it. So the question is, are they important for eels? I think so. I don't know. I don't know much about eels. Eels are a mystery. We don't know I how they eels. breed. They're fucking weird. What? Really? Um, yeah, no one knows how eels make new eels. What? That's yeah. Okay. That's wild. Google it. It's wild. No one really knows. Yeah. Like, there's like if you can figure it out, like you'll probably win a Nobel Prize. Um, <laughs> you'll be set for life. Um, but yeah. Eel sex. I mean, let's figure it out. No one no one's found them breeding, no one's found their nurseries, no one's found their eggs. They can't figure it out. It's bonkers Um, yeah right um so one of the one of the papers i was looking at they were actually looking at trying to and i'm never an advocate for this but they were looking at the viability of using this parasitic barnacle to control these invasive green crabs that seems like a bad idea oh wow yeah so like they did the study for it right and they they did it in a lab not in the wild um and they were like do they prefer to only settle on the green crabs, but or like will it ne- negatively impact our native crabs as well? And mm-hmm. they found that like while the barnacle did prefer the little green shore crab, they would still also infect native crabs and would cause a lot of damage. And so they were like, it's probably not viable. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Like look at every time we've gone to do this, it's ended badly. Let's not. Um, like Australia, um, right? <laughs> I'm glad they tested it before they decided yeah, to just fucking do yeah. it. <laughs> oh no! Like, I mean, most places are pretty good about that. Like, you'd have to have evidence in order to to do that. So, um, because otherwise, like, what if it? What if they preferentially wanted a California crab instead of the green crab, and then you just killed off your entire population? And you have this mm-hmm. tiny larva. <laughs> Right? It would be devastating. Um, And then who knows what other things would be impacted by it. Because, like, when you're talking about an ecosystem, it's never just one thing that's impacted. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, that's my favorite parasite. Um, He's pretty cool. They're really gross to look at in the videos. Um, There might be newer videos out there, too, where you can see, like, the egg grooming behavior and whatnot it's just it's wild like imagine imagine you're swimming just being a crab and then like you get infected with one of these fuckers and then what are you supposed to do nothing you're dead 
Like, I wonder what that experience is like. Like, obviously, crabs have limited nerve system and intelligence and stuff. But, like, what that experience is like of some creature coming into you and slowly yeah. taking you over. Well, and, and like, I don't know. Crabs crabs are surprising. Like, you, we, we think of them. I think I like to think of them as not very smart because I like to eat them. And, like, um, yes, I do eat these creatures that I love and study. And sometimes it's really hard to differentiate because, like, I'll be looking at it in terms of like it's in the lab and I shouldn't be eating this Dungeness crab, but like it's the greatest size and like look at them claws, they look so juicy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> generally though, I haven't had it come the other way around where like I'm about to eat something and all I can think about is like dissecting it properly. So that's good. Um we eat it because we yeah. love it. I I I mean I but like with anything, like if it's done in a respectful and sustainable way, I'm for it. Like, don't yeah. just kill things to kill things. I think that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I eat what I kill, and I kill what I eat. So, if I'm not willing to do it, then I probably wouldn't eat it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. just the mantle I took on when I decided to eat things. <laughs> it's just the way my daddy raised. When me. you decided to eat things. When I decided, like, <laughs> veganism wasn't for me, I decided, well, I should at least make sure that I'm respectful towards the things that I'm eating and that I would be willing to uh, dispatch it myself. So, because I grew Better. up fishing. I grew up fishing and I grew up crabbing and, and shrimping. And then um, I've gone hunting. Um, and I, like, try to be respectful when I do those things and thankful for the creatures that I eat. So, Yeah. It's an important thing. It is. It really is. People so, yeah, don't know that's... enough about where their food is from and all that. No, no. And and I mean, like I was saying earlier, like the the science right now for whether animals feel pain, like invertebrates, like crabs and lobsters and things, is shaky. Like we don't really know, but like the prevailing the prevailing practices, they don't. But, like, I also still, like, try to dispatch things quickly if I have to, whether that's as food or as, like, a subject for study. Because mm-hmm. um, I just think that's the best way. Like, if something was going to study me and they didn't think I was sentient, like, hope they would do the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's you know. fair. So, that's all I had for you guys. Yeah, I may awesome. other questions. If anyone thinks of anything later, you can hit me up on whatever. Don't worry, we'll just plan like five more episodes for you. My Twitter, my Instagram. Yeah, I love this. Like, please <laughs> let me come and talk about anything. Um, like, if you have weird questions that stop me, I'm fine with that. Like, you guys can also, like, if, if you have things that came up afterward that I've forgotten, like, ask me and I can find the stuff and we can put it up somewhere because... Like I said, I just want to, I want people to love this thing, like these things, because I feel like when people are familiar with something and they see how cool it is, they're more likely to want to take steps towards protecting it. So Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, maybe being a little more careful about recycling or trash or, Mm -hmm. you know, like donating to research or whatever, like, I think it's important because why would you care if you didn't know? It's true. Uh, so yeah, is there yeah? Do you want to share your socials or anything? Yeah. Um. So you can find me on Twitter at Geeky Girl AK, um, and then I have two Instagrams. Um, Geeky Girl AK is where I post most of my stuff. So I think I had the majority of my 
like fish pictures and stuff on there right now, but I'm working on getting them migrated over to my spunky fish wizard Instagram um, as well. And then I have like my fish, my fish art on there. Um, I did a commission for my best friend where I did a painting of um, fish from the Prince William sound, which is where we're from. So nice. I have those up there and then, I go through and I I'll, I paint whatever fish make me happy at the moment and I put them on there. And then I also have like all my photos from going to aquariums that I have to put on there still. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your nerdery with us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for letting me come and talk about fish. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we can kick out Greg. Bye, Greg. Bye, Greg. <laughs> Craig. Craig. Amazing. Courtney, oh my god. I need to know Thank everything. <laughs> and that's it for this week. Another huge thank you to Courtney for coming on and sharing her passion and knowledge. Next week, Hallie and Nathan are going to tell us about some really old inns with Wild Pass, the Ancient Rams Inn, and the Mermaid Inn. Prepare for ghosts, murder, and mutiny. As always, links, pictures, and more can be found on our website, thehumanexception.com. Make sure to follow us for all things exceptional at The Human Exception at Twitter or on Facebook. And if you have an idea for an episode, you want to tell us that we're wrong or just want to say hi, you can send us an email at thehumanexception at gmail.com. Also, come join our Discord server for some additional nerdery. The link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend.